0: Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with clinical psychologist, Dr. Kristen Beasley, better known to her clients as Dr. B. She's the founder of Leave a Life Print Coaching and Consulting and the host of the podcast, Delusional Optimism. Her passion is empowering people to heal trauma and build resilience, specifically Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs. Today, she shares about navigating her own childhood trauma, coming out after being married to a man for 20 years, and what life is like today. Oh, and stay tuned for an exciting update at the end of this episode. Now let's hear Dr. B's story.
1: Well, hello, everyone. We are super excited to be here today with Dr. B is joining us. Dr. B is the host of Delusional Optimism, a podcast that Andy and I have both fallen in love with. We know that once you get to know Dr. B a little bit today, you are going to fall in love with her too, and just all of the wonderful experience and just uh, skills that she has and life and wisdom that we've all benefited from that we're here to share together today. So welcome, Dr. B.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, and and by here, we were just talking earlier, you're in Fresno, right? Fresno,
2: California? I am in Fresno, California. I am a lifelong Californian except for a couple of years in Cleveland, Ohio, where I did my clinical work. So, yes. And
1: your your clinical work was in?
2: It's in clinical psychology with a specialization in parent infant mental health. So, babies and brains really make it simple. (laughs) So, (laughs) in order to have an organized brain, you have to be a baby and have loving relationships. So, that's my that's my gig kind of.
1: What what's uh, you talk about babies and brains? In in your family were you the only were there any other babies any other brains any other kids? <laughs> there
2: are. I am the baby of 3. There were three there're three siblings and I credit my siblings, my older siblings with a lot of my own personal resilience. And so I have an older sister Kimberly and I have an older brother Brent. My sister's 11 years older than me. And my brother is only eighteen months older than me, so he's kind of like my twin. He's also about the smartest person that I've ever met in the whole world. So, oh wow, yeah, and still, like, he's yeah, he's just a super cool guy, and and I adore him. Oh,
1: that's that's special. That's that's neat that you have have each other and had each other growing up to be part of. Yeah. Those experiences. Yeah. With with family life, did you have an idea when you were younger? Like, did you have this innate thing where you're like, oh, I'm gonna be a psychologist when I grow up? <laughs>
2: oh my gosh. I had I didn't, but I do have a funny story about that. In fourth grade, like I never loved school and I was never good at school. I was always like, I knew I had thoughts and then I wasn't like I knew I thought differently than other people. And in in fourth grade, so I was about 10 years old, and I remember sitting at my desk thinking, you know, I don't think school's really for kids. I think school's just so adults can go to work and they just want to occupy all the kids like in one place. So they just made this thing up called school. And so, (laughs) I, I mean, I have this very distinctive memory of sitting there like pondering like, why do we do this? This seems so kind of dumb, and ironically, of course, then I end up being a teacher or in school the entire <laughs> span of my adult life, um, but but in a little bit of a more progressive way, I think. And then, but I what I wanted to do, I grew up in Ventura and I grew up surfing, and surfing was mm. like my saving grace activity. You know, I still surf to this day not in freezing cold water anymore and in a much more mellow sense. <laughs> However, and much less frequently, but it really was this like very spiritual experience for me that you know I could just completely lose myself in the water. And so again in 4th grade. 4th grade's like magical for particularly little girls. 10 is like when the window's wide open before it shuts into adolescence and you're like you lose us for, you know, a good decade. But I was I thought I just want to live on an island and be like the mama like mama of all the kids who don't have like parents who will let them just surf all the time and hang out and we'll just like I'll take care of everybody. So <laughs> I was yeah. always this kind of weird thinker about big social things.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting because, like, to, to today, like, I'm like to me that's not weird at all. To me, that's just like it's totally like the the pool I wanted that I like to be in myself personally. But I yeah. am curious, so just because. I always idolize like the idea of California surfers and stuff like that. But I, but so then Anthony and I arrived here a couple of years ago, and I had been a lifeguard and stuff, and I was like, oh, I'm a lifeguard, I'm a swimmer, I can I can get on a surfboard. I'm like, well, it's just because you swim, you can't surf. And <laughs> no. it's, something that, it's, it's a work in progress for me. But I'm curious for yourself, was there a teacher for you? Was there a, who, who taught you how to surf?
2: My brother taught me how to surf nah. and and a skateboard. So I skateboarded and surfed from the from being very little. And I now look back and I think, oh my gosh, how did I do that? But it's so secondary nature to me because I learned it so early Mm -hmm. and I always wanted to be just like him. So, you know, we surfed every day, multiple times a day. And you're right. Like I have tons of friends who always say, Hey, will you teach me to surf? I'm like, we're 50. No, we can't (laughs) learn to surf now. Like, (laughs) no, that's like learning how to be a pool shark. And you know, when your brain is not plastic anymore as, as much as, as plastic as it was. No. So, and and for me, it's snowboarding. Everybody's like, oh, snowboarding is just like surfing. I'm like, yeah, no, I pretty much got a concussion the one time I tried to snowboard. <laughs> the snow is not like the water. So yeah. Those things that you learn when you're little, like you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 to fifteen, you know, when you're young, you are at your maximum. Capacity to just have it be part of your motor muscle memory, mm. it just is part of who you are. Yeah. And so for me, I mean, the gift is that it was surfing, and oh my gosh, you know, I still can just, I still can just lay around and look at a, a picture of a big, huge wave, and I don't surf big waves, but just look at it and feel so calm and relaxed. Mm. Or if I need a break, like, I will just turn on a surf, like, move, you know, a surf movie, you know, where they just show people surfing. That's all they do. It's like one way of, it's like, repeat, repeat. But that's my, yeah, that's my thing. But it's very difficult to have the time and energy to learn to surf as an adult. It's impractical. I just tell my people, boogie board, it's so fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's what what Anthony said to me as well too. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. Just boogie board. It's just as fun if you don't know how to surf because you'll be frustrated for a long time.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's so great to have this understanding that you had this sort of, you know, space that you could go to, this spiritual practice that you had as a kid growing up. How would you say your family life was like growing up with your parents and, you know, your siblings? How was home life?
2: Well, it was it was tricky and it was, it was complicated. I have parents who were divorced by the time I was 12. We had lived in lots of different places. So I lived in, I went to nine different schools wow. in pretty much 11 and a half grades. Because by the time I got to 12th grade, I was like, I'm over it. I'm out. I'm going to get enough units and I'm out. Yeah. And I graduated, but I was like, I am not going to college. So, point probably why I was the kooky fourth grader. Mm. Pro my superpower is dyslexia. Mm. Profoundly dyslexic, didn't know it until college, but couldn't read in third grade. So, mm. interesting, knew that I was would never have called it smart, but knew that I could think but didn't fit in to the norm in terms of intellectual ability. Yeah, my my parents both struggle with, you know, traumatic childhoods mm. and that then flowed over into our childhoods in a lot of ways, but we also have a lot of strengths. And I would and and this is why I always say that relationships and people in our lives gift us Resilience. They are, they give us this ability to overcome adversity. They give us mm-hmm. hope and inspiration and optimism. And so, my brother just being so close in age to me, and actually my sister too, but my sister was 11 years older. So, by the time I was old enough to really like know my sister, like I was in kindergarten, she was off to college. But I, but we talk about it now, and we wrote letters to each other. And that was a really powerful way to stay connected to somebody who has a shared story. And siblings have a shared story. And then my brother was always there. Andy was a boy, Andy was very protective of me. So nobody ever messed with me, the you know, where I lived in a pretty pretty vulnerable, drug-infested party community in Ventura Hmm. that a lot of people did not escape without addiction or injury or death. A lot of people, which is why I moved, (laughs) which is why I finally got away from that, was because I thought, if I stay here, this isn't going to be good for me. Even though I still love Ventura and call it home, it was kind of a scary place at times. And so, in that sense, my brother provided a lot of protection and said, you know, here's his little sister, but his little sister was not, like, people were scared of him, so they would not mess with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His friends weren't going to, like, cross him. So, so the risks that young women face, you know, from from men in a particular sexual assault or you know just a variety of things i didn't happen to have in a in as much of a way because i had this protector so in that sense i didn't my dad was a phenomenal optimist and he he also struggled with alcohol mm. and some other addiction but he was the sweetest and I never questioned his love for me and that he would have done anything for me. He happened to have died when I was in my early 30s. And that was a giant loss for me. And so, and I think of my mom, She, she's complicated, but she also did love me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think she understands me, but she definitely <laughs> loves me. But.
1: <laughs> uh. That's an important thing that you just said there to be able to you know necessarily not understand but to be able to love and sometimes if I can love long enough and lean into it then maybe some understanding comes mm-hmm. you know and it's just in my experience with people because there's a lot that you know I don't expect I don't have a shared experience I like how you talked about a shared story though with siblings I've never heard it quite put that way before um, yeah and, and it makes sense. To those that haven't met you, you know, anything I've gotten to listen to your coming out story, and 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 I um, know, and I love that we're being able to. One of the reasons I'm so glad you're here today is that it's a little bit different than, than my experience, and and I have friends that have had your experience, and I have a couple, actually, two of my best friends have had similar experiences with coming out later in life, and it's just so different than mine, and and to me, it made no sense. But I've listened to them. I've asked them a couple times to tell me their story, and I'm just like, wow. So with that being said, you went on, you went to school, you end up getting married uh, to to a husband. Yes? Did you have any... I don't want to assume anything, and I want to take advantage of being able to just ask you specifically for your experience. Did you ever have any... Um, did you have any words for, for like what it meant to be a lesbian as a kid or, or anyone that you did, you... did you feel that at all or anything?
2: No. I think I was at the, like, kind of tail end of... I didn't even know what a lesbian was until I was... After I was married, probably, you know, it just... I never knew a lesbian. It was just not part of my identity circle in any way growing up. Hmm. So now I look at that, and I and I have lots of friends and people in my world who are, you know, seven to ten years younger than me. And, you know, they had friends in high school who were gay. They da, 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 And I think, okay, where was I? Like, surfing, <laughs> clearly. Like... <laughs> No, didn't ever cross my mind. Like, of course, I was just going to marry a guy and have kids. And I really identified so much as being a mom. Like, I wanted to be a mom so much that nothing else really... I I didn't even associate needing to be a mom with a man. I just wanted to be a mom. And then it ultimately... I married my best friend and, you know, we were together for... 20 years, we have three adult children, and I would never, if I were not gay and born gay or a lesbian, then I would probably still be married to him. I mean, I Mm. still think he's an amazing person and he's a wonderful father to our children, but I had to be me, like I had to be at, at, at a certain point and there is a neurological process that makes this sort of obvious that happens for women around the age of 40 where there's a hormone shift in your brain. Mm. And then all of a sudden things kind of become really obvious that were mm. not there before. And, okay, I'll explain it to you, and if you want to cut it, you can. Um, <laughs> no,
0: this it, is really just no saying, what We want to hear. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: So, women, when they're in their 20s, you know, in their childbearing years, they need to have a lot of estrogen and hormones in their system in order to tolerate the amount of caregiving and love they have to provide for young children and partners, because think about it, if you have a bunch of babies around and, and somebody who needs a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're like, oh my gosh, no. And in your 20s, you're like, of course, I would love to do that for you. And let me sweep up after you too. I'm thrilled about it. you know. I watch this in women all the time. And then as you get older and past your childbearing years, those hormones begin to recede As we move into, you know, a different phase of life, we don't need to be that anymore because we don't have little babies around. And then it starts to apply to everyone in our lives. And we're like, make your own PBJ, you know, you can do that. (laughs) Like, what's wrong? Why would I do that? You can do that. And so the other factor for me in particular that I've learned about my story is that I had two events that really forced me to face my own personal mortality mm. my dad dying and i was diagnosed with cancer at 34 mm. and so and it was a it was a process you know i mean i'm i'm cured i'm out it's all good but it definitely makes you face your you know everything real about your life and i and i believe everybody should go to therapy but In my therapist for the very first time in my life, I sat in her office as I had before and recognized, oh my gosh, I'm you and you're married to a woman and you're a psychologist and you're like, for the first time I had this identity spark, I related to somebody who felt very much like I felt. Hmm. And I literally got in my car and drove home and told... My husband, that I thought I was gay. Yeah.
1: Well, he was your best friend. He My was. Friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And Who I else? said, yeah. I don't
2: know what we'll do, but we, we'll figure this out. And and we we liter we stayed together for several years with that information yeah. and raising kids together and you know processing. Yeah. That yeah.
1: You have a healthy relationship still with, with him. I, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've been able to have a friendship still Um, raise kids together or
2: we, yes. I mean, our children, I definitely, our, our children are now 33, 20. uh, They're all turning a a new age. So I have a 33, a 28 and a 24. And I would definitely say that he and I are, would consider each other friends. Do we hang out? No, do I'm married. So I have a wife and he has a girlfriend. And so this Sunday, we're all going to be together for our oldest son's birthday. Mm. at my daughter's house. So there's we we interact on a lot of different levels, but we don't hang out together. Like we're That's not in each other's lives like, you know, in the past. No. But I think that I mean, I can say for sure like when there's something that comes up with our children in particular or if I were to need something, I could always and easily turn to him. And I hope that he feels and thinks the same way about me, and I'm pretty sure that he does. Yeah. But you know, we share Grant, we share grandchildren. and, and yeah. so yeah. you know, I would I would still, like I said, if I weren't, if I didn't know this about myself and hadn't come out and lived my true authentic <laughs> self life, then I believe that I would still be married to him.
0: You know, you said that when you, you know, you were in that therapy session, and you, like, you left the therapy session. You had this realization. You left. You went home, and you told him your husband at the time right away. And then you went on to say that it took almost several years of you still being together to work through that. Uh, So I grew up in a family where I I came. I come from a divorce family, and it was not a very it was not a good situation. There was not a lot of communication. It was sort of like one day everything was fine ish. And then the next day, dad was moved out of the house. I mean, it was literally like that's how it was. And what I'm hearing from you is well, so there's two things is one, it's just how important it is to, to, Understand when you're, you know, understanding who you are is being able to then express that to your, you know, your partner, your family, your close friends to be able to articulate that because when we hold back information from other people, then it causes problems within those relationships. I know, you know, even for Jeff and I, is you know, being a married couple, there are times where I'm processing something and I maybe am not telling him what's going on because I don't have the words for it yet. And it causes a riff. And it's almost like in order to, you know, curb that a disagreement or an argument, it's like, I've got to get that information to him right away. Cause he needs to know to understand, like, it's not you, it's not this, it's just, this is where my head is at right now. And I, I need to, you know, work through this. So I, I, I give both of you credit, so much credit. You know, coming from you know that experience that I've had of not being able to communicate, like how important it is to have that communication. And the other thing that I hear from your story is, is I don't know. There's a part of me that's always thought like there's sort of like this timeline that I'm on. Like by a certain age, you got to hit like certain milestones, and I'm working on it. That I'm breaking down those barriers and not holding, the, you know, to that anymore. But I hear what I heard as you said, like you know, you. you decided to live your authentic self, your authentic truth. And it maybe was a little bit later in your life. But what I hear is that it's not too late to do the things that you love and to be the person that you are. I think about my grandma, who was this entrepreneur, a woman way ahead of her time. And um, it wasn't until she was in her late 50s, she opened up the first restaurant that she ever had, which led into this gigantic Empire oh of you know <laughs> restaurants and hotels and banquet halls and all of these wow. businesses, which just took, Her into her 80s until you know she passed away. And it's just a reminder when I hear like all of what you're saying, it's like it's just never too late. Like we don't have to worry about not to be on this timetable. It's like when things happen, when they're ready to happen, they'll happen.
2: Yeah. Okay. I already I love your grandmother and I want (laughs) to be her. So, and I'm in my early 50s. So, and I've started my business that I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm finally in. Exactly the spot mm. and the place that I want to be and that is good for me, whether I make money or don't make money. It just feels good. Like, this is my ride. And that was so key for me. Now, my family, I shared this with him, with, with my husband at the time. I did not share this with anybody. Inc- mm. I didn't share this with my children, any of my friends, any of my family. It took a long time for that to come come out. But I never wavered about knowing. And so mm-hmm. the question, what, and my friends would say later, later after I had kind of come out, but I still hadn't been in any relationship with a woman, they're like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, well, how do you know you're straight? Like, you, don't, you know you're straight <laughs> when you're like a kid and you don't, like, I knew I was straight before, you know, I met any guy, so why wouldn't I know that about, and so, I have had a very different process and journey, but I also think the weird thing about coming out late is, and I've said it in my coming out story, is that you sort of have this behavior pattern of adolescence, and then you have this wisdom of adulthood. <laughs> so you're like,
1: yeah, you're yeah. like
2: your parent and your child all yeah. at the same time. And you think, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible child and I'm a horrible parent. <laughs> so uh,
1: <laughs> that's, I, I love and that so relates to like my one dear friend, he he came out around your age and I was 20 years younger than him, but and I was coming out at 20 and he was in his, in his uh, 40s and, and I got to benefit from his wisdom, but we were out like doing the things like, Kids would do, like, you know, we were, it was such, and we're still, this is like, Almost 19 years later. And we're still just so, it's just one of the relationships that I cherish so much. Yes. I mean, we've been able to be there for each other in different ways. And it makes, And now my relationship actually makes so much more sense to you after we've just shared that. So, so, so thank you for that. You, you mentioned earlier about how it's easier, like to learn to surf. Um, or I think about to learn, like I would think about, like it was easier. I see people that have kids that learn, like, that speak multiple foreign languages that learn a foreign language at an earlier age. Maybe that's something that people cannot, you know, can grasp pretty easily. You do a lot of work uh, involved ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, yes. And where I'm going with this is, is that talking about how when we're able to learn something so easily as a kid, how it's almost kind of like a double-edged sword. Because if there's trauma, or there's so so and you can learn things, but then also some of the negative things can be ingrained as well, too, on a, was maybe yeah. a deeper level or a program. How, what would
2: be the words you would use for that? I would say that, you know, I've always worked in... Trauma and child development. And I've always remember since I was 10, been trying to figure out the adult world and why they do what they do with kids. Right. And so I think that, and that had nothing to do with my sexual orientation, my gender identity. It was just like, that's who I am mm-hmm. across the board. That's who I was when I was married to a man. It's still who I am married to a woman. <laughs> and so, but understanding trauma, which is also adverse childhood experiences, I believe that the reason that I'm so, I guess, I don't know if I want to say good at what I do, but I'm so empathetic or can really feel what other people feel in that realm is because I do have a lot of experience there. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't share all of it because I feel like there's a level of, you know, I don't know who the whole audience is. So we have to, you know, I share some of it, but not all of it. And so I think that when you have experience with trauma, or you have experience with something that's not necessarily super pleasant but it definitely gives you a level of insight that nobody can have without that lived experience. So then add on top of it my lived experience, which is a fairly narrow slice of the pie in terms of people coming out in their 40s, let's say, or in their late 30s. I was so hyper set on this is my journey and this is about how I feel about me and the messaging that I want my children to have about themselves. Mm. If I can't be honest with myself at this point, they will never, ever believe that they can be honest with themselves. Wow. And it, and that's that wisdom of 40, right? Mm. That's I never probably would have come to that had I come out at 16. I would have told, but at 40... It was like, stay married and just, you know, whatever, or live your truth and be a real parent to your children. Wow. And so that was so important to me that, I mean, and and I still, you've heard me cry. I mean, I cried through my entire coming out podcast because I had to make, it's almost like the movie Sophie's Choice. It felt like the impossible choice. Oh, Yeah. Giving up my, you know, my children's father, my marriage, my relationship, and then also giving my children the gift of honesty, truth, identity, and all of that. And I just decided I could not be the best me if I sacrificed me for them. And it Mm -hmm. wouldn't be fair to them to sacrifice me for them. Because that is how my parents' divorce looked like, was they're like, oh, stay together for the children. Well, what a bunch of guilt trip that is. Like, that's a big fat waste. No, be good parents separate and together. Yeah. And if you can't do that, like, that's your job as a parent is to be good parents for your children, whether you're together or apart. You know, my parent, my my father had passed. I have no question that he would have loved me no matter what, gay, straight, you know, trans, whatever. He he was he was gonna be fine. My mom loves me at, <laughs> no matter what, but on certain days she's like, "Your gayness has ruined your all your children," and I'm like. There is not one thing wrong with my children. And Mm -hmm. why would you say that to them? (laughs) Like, they're offended. So there's this this weird, you know, we have to talk about these really hard things. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about them, they're totally manageable. It's only when they're not talked about that they're unmanageable. And I love that you said, you know, sometimes you're processing things and Jeff, right? Is it You're thinking, oh my gosh, like what is going on with him, right? You're like, what the heck is going on? And I feel like that with my wife now, like, you know, she's a thinker and a processor. So I need her to, and I say this to her, I'm like, okay, I need you to say to me, you know, I need to process this for a little while. I still love you. I'm not mad at you. I, you know, we'll talk about it in a while, but- and so we have to set the what she needs and what I need because probably why we love each other is because those of those differences. Mm. But those differences are also the things that make us go, oh, my gosh, you know. <laughs> ah, what do
0: I do? (laughs) It's those, uh, it's almost like those things that in any relationship, you know, where there's those, those hiccups, those bumps in the road, those disagreements, whatever they are, it's where that, you know, that definitely comes into play. I love what you just said in terms of this, like, what you did and what you did for your kids and and being able to communicate and articulate your experience and your honesty and your truth to them and really being a role model for them. I know that you said, you know, when we started talking about this, uh, or sorry, when we started talking at the beginning of the uh, the interview, that you said that with your own parents, they both sort of came from these traumatic childhood experiences is that part of and and it trickled down to you and then you know just thinking it through so as you are moving through your truth getting to you know being honest with yourself and then moving into knowing that you know you have to not be with your you know then husband how did you articulate that to your children and how how did they perceive the situation as a whole
2: it's so interesting so you know they're all about five years apart so my oldest son was about 19, 19 20. my daughter was about 14 15 and then my youngest son was nine-ish and so very funny last night at dinner my old my youngest son who's turning 24 said mom I've known you longer gay than straight like I don't <laughs> like this is this is the norm like he's he's just like, you know, whatever, you know, this is such a, uh, you know, whatever for him. And my children, I've been very fortunate in that my children have all been loving and accepting long before I even came out. I mean, that's just who they are. That's how we raised them. They weren't in, you know, they, it, it was just never, a. A thing. My niece said to me when I came out to her, Auntie, I would love you whether you're gay, straight, or I wouldn't love you if you were gay or straight. That's not the reason I love you. And I was like, Caitlin, <laughs> I'm I was kind of offended. And then 10 years later she said, Did that sound insensitive? And I said, Well, kinda. But <laughs> <laughs> but because it was like this big announcement, you know, and she was so Neutral. I thought I wanted her to be, you know, I oh, but my own children, because I had had cancer, remember, and this was a big announcement. So we sat them down to have this conversation, and I dragged stories out a little bit. And so they all thought that I was going to tell them I had cancer again. And they're like, you're gay. Okay, fine, good. Why'd you have to make, why'd we take so long talking about that? Oh and gosh, yeah. and then who's going to live where, you know? And basically we lived together with them in a, a common house for a couple of years so, or a year and a half. Mm. And so we really tried to, you know, manage our separation and our lives mm. with their best interest at heart. And, you know, that can be very hard. And you heard, I mean, it's painful. It was painful for me. It was painful for him. I have huge regrets that, you know, if I could do it over again, there are certainly things that I would do over. Just like adolescence would be better, you know, when you look back and you think, oh, you know, I really made my parents crazy. Well, I feel like there are lots of things that I would, you know, do differently if I could, but I can't and maybe I wouldn't be here today. Right. If I had done it perfectly all the way through. I mean, yeah. you, you just have to acknowledge. Acknowledge those mistakes, apologize for them and, you know, then then find the humor in some of them because <laughs> yeah. they are kind of funny.
0: Right. <laughs> that's I mean, that's really what it is. Me coming from a, a place where there wasn't a lot of dialogue. There was a lot of second guessing, and there was a lot of not really understanding what the truth was or what was happening, why it was happening. To to be able to have so, first of all, I think that there's some like that's being an adult, you know, like yeah. standing up to like say, okay, th- this is sort of the situation I've put myself in, the people I love in, and now I have to figure out how we're going to work through this so that everyone, you know, is safe, happy, healthy, and we can all move on in a healthy way. You know, from the work that you do and, you know, uh, listening to, you know, some of your podcasts and talking through this, not everyone is lucky to be able to have, you know, a parent like you that is able to work through some of these things. And, you know, Jeff had mentioned earlier adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. You know, some of these are, these are those experiences that you have in your childhood. Some of them include physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, having a family member that's depressed or diagnosed with mental illness, someone who's addicted to alcohol or other substance, family member who in prison, witnessing a mother being abused, losing a parent to separation, divorce, or death. So, listening to that list, we all know someone who maybe has gone through some of that when they were a child or have been through those situations. So, my question is, where, obviously, as we get older, these are things that, uh, these experiences weigh on us. Where, if Someone is listening uh, and has experienced one of these things and they think that maybe that this has had an effect on their life what is the first thing for them to do or where do they start this healing process?
2: Well I first think some of these things that make me quote unquote a good parent my children might disagree but um, <laughs> but are because I'm a clinical psychologist like I went to school to be you know a you know, a psychologist. So I've studied this in depth for over a decade and child development. So that actually makes me well-trained in terms of responding to this stuff. That does not mean that I parented this way or mm. that their perception of me as their parent is the same. They adore me. I adore them. It's all good because, you know, it's life. But you know, I have several adverse childhood experiences. If you look at your A score, and the, that mm. A score, 62% of the population have one, and 16% of the population, which I live within, have four or more. So I think that the blessing and the curse is that I recognize that trauma level. And at the same time, I had the resilience and the support level to push me through to the other side to be able to have a perspective about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to look at it with some insight and reflection, which is where, which is really the tipping point between healing and staying stuck. Mm-hmm. So people in the same family can have trauma, but mm-hmm. then one person is, gets stuck in it but Mm. the other person can really have insight and heal and move forward. And I think that's confusing for a lot of people because, but that is what resiliency is. And then the person who lives through it can say, often feel like they have a little survivor guilt Mm. because I got past it. And then, I'll use my brother for an example because he always lets me use him as an example and because he's my loving protector. And and he's like, yeah, use me as an example because he is the smartest, most brilliant person I know. And he is somewhat stuck in his trauma on a lot of levels. But he's brilliant. I mean, he's an artist. He's a writer. He's just brilliant. But people would say you're practically the same age. You grew up in the same household. You grew up with the same parents, blah, blah, blah. Nothing about that, I want parents to recognize, nothing about how you parent your children is exactly the same. Mm. Right. Everything about being in a family is different from every single child, just like every single child is so different from, yeah. just because you have one doesn't mean number the next one's going to be the same. They're like polar opposite. And you go... Yeah. Who are you? Where did you come from? Don't you have <laughs> yeah. parents?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I, I. You know, I think that um, anyone can re- relate to what you just said there with, with personal. I've observed what you're talking about. I think it's important to actually then kind of like because this can, sometimes this kind of conversations can people be like, oh, it's a little woo woo, mystical, blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. what I've enjoyed from you is, is you start then applying science, statistics to things, and leading into it, being like, oh, now we actually have. We Know we're, do, we're researching these things, and we have yeah. we, we, we see, I will say personally, um, where I have felt that like it's a, like maybe my generation or like the last 10 years, the buzzword is trauma, and 90% of the time, you never hear them resilience following trauma. We people just spent and and it's like then, so like you can't see the forest or the trees, and you're just stuck in the trauma, right? And then, and then we, you know, and then it can be start to be like, oh, well, why couldn't he figure it out if she could figure it out? I know for myself. When I was sick and tired of being sick and tired like when I finally surrendered for for me it was with like addiction per se mm-hmm. but I, but but my that that stemmed due to I was in so much pain that that was where I felt that was where I felt released and, and to, for a long time it was it was something that that saved my life
2: absolutely and then, and
1: then it stopped working right it turned on me mm-hmm. but I do know once I finally like there was when I was able to hear like finally like I reached the end of myself let's just say and I remember like my mom saying you know what eventually Jeff you're gonna realize it's not just bad luck you there there you're some you had to have some power in this Mm. that I was able to like be able to start then having what you talk about is dialogue Mm-hmm. Right, being open to the fact that maybe there is a there, maybe there is something going on here, and you know, therapy, group work, and I, I cry sometimes. But like when the first couple of years, if you heard me talking about this stuff, I, I couldn't have a conversation like we're having today without being in tears. Yeah. And and, and when the tears do come, it's like, oh, well, what else is going on here? What what can I learn from this? Um, mm-hmm. and what is this? What is this emotion trying to move within me instead of being stuck in? Yeah. That 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 being said, you know, and Anthony asked, like, where, where are good places to start? You talk about in your so there's different ways of approaching this. And and I just want to, one thing I don't want to forget is is that what I've learned from you is, is that how important a one-on-one relationship with someone can be. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to try and save the world or save all the children, but the, <laughs> how important it is for each person to have a good enough parent even you talk about. Yep. Can,
2: can we talk about a little bit about that right now? Yes. The most powerful force in building resilience, which is the ability to overcome adversity, is one loving, attuned caregiver relationship, Mm -hmm. somebody who can see you for who you are and love you for who you are under all circumstances. And you only need one. And they don't even have to be that great and they don't have to be there every day. Like nobody has to be a perfect parent, so let yourself off the hook. You can really suck at this job and then like be good at it sometimes and your kids can turn out phenomenally. So you can pat yourself on the back or you can be like, "Oh, well, you know, some days are good, some are bad." But it it really is a relationship that's loving and honest and and where you're seen Like, somebody can see you for who you are and love you for who you are. So, we talked, er, like, right at the beginning when we talk about, you know, LGBTQIA kids who are coming out, there is nothing more terrifying than coming out. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was educated, I was old, I was supported by my husband and children. Like, and I still felt like coming out, and I still to this day sometimes have to come out to different groups and think, you know, take a deep breath, because I don't know what the response is going to be. And I've thought about this a lot. If one of my kids were going to have to come out to me, I think if I thought they were they were gay... That I would put them in the car and lock the doors and take them on a long drive. And just like I did sex ed with them, I would so they couldn't get away. I would just like say, (laughs) "Okay, I'm kind of feeling like maybe you might love somebody of the same gender. What do you think? And just open the door for them, because if you're younger you know, it, it seems so impossible to tell somebody that, mm-hmm. and you've never told them that anymore. And a lot of times kids say, you know, I wanted to tell you when I was nine. I wanted to tell you when I was 11. I wanted to tell you, but they didn't tell them until they were 29. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, well, I already knew. My best childhood friend, when I came out to her at 39, told I, I knew that since you were 12. I'm like, <laughs> Christina. <laughs> What's wrong with you? That was your job. You were my best friend. She goes, you wouldn't have been able to hear it until you you figured it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. like, and I, you know, I love her to pieces to this day, but i I crack up at it. And so, you know, we can open the door in loving ways, and yet we're so afraid to do that. You know, think yeah. about how scary it is to say to somebody, Are you gay? You know, but as mm. a as a person who's gay, like if somebody asks me if I'm gay, I'm like, yeah, what's it's yeah. like, do you want to drink? No, sure. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like it's not I'm not offended because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Right. Yeah. So why do we ask why do we ask the question as if there's something innately wrong with the the answer, or we're gonna have this big reaction. If you have a big reaction to me saying yes, yeah, something's wrong with you, not me. Right.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I think that I think about today uh, more so with our trans brothers and sisters, uh, for sure. With the, the, the study that came out this past year about that, eighty uh, percent of Google analytics shows that eighty percent of which being put out there information wise is all negative context, right? And so that these these boogeymen in people's heads about the trans population, right? Um, so and, much, and, right? And th- so that's why I mean. It's so important to share. Like, if you know someone who's trans, to be able to like point someone in a direction and just trans story to be able to share that with somebody. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting for also like I have to acknowledge the fact that like my parents, they when someone asks like oh about their kids, maybe somebody they haven't seen in you like for fifteen years or you know or whatever, they're like oh yeah yeah we we have a son-in-law. Oh well, you, you have two boys, so you have a son-in-law. Wait, you know like <laughs> yeah that, that, that there are levels of, of coming out, and I think that's why story is so important. And being able to talk about like your story today, you know, learn about the work you're doing, but also as on a human level, on a personal yeah. level. Um, and I appreciate your open and honesty about about that, what we're talking about today.
2: Can I share something about our trans brothers and sisters? Because yeah. this, this really puts it into perspective. Yes, we have created this, you know, boogeyman mentality about the trans population, And we also know statistically that 80% of the people in our population have never met a trans person. The only exposure to transgender people is through the media. Mm-hmm. So then that just compounds that issue. There's just this great documentary called Disclosure and it with Laverne Cox. So, yeah. you know, check that out because it's about media yeah. and the transgender population.
0: Yeah, That's that, that, available on Netflix. Available? So everybody knows. Yeah, because yeah. it's really easy to watch. And it's a great dialogue to have about how trans people are portrayed in the media. And it really impacts, impacts of history, too. Yeah.
2: For sure,
1: yeah. And you're just like, oh, well, because because we, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old, and I can think of it, it goes through stuff before I was born, and then then stuff that I've lived through. I'm like, oh yeah, that mm-hmm. I, that's what that did. And, yeah. and you know what, like I. I see how that impacted me when I was in school. I remember how we talked about things, yeah, you know. And so, yeah, cannot say highly enough about about that. That's thanks yeah. for, for pointing that out.
2: For sure. Um, and and you're right about the people that we love. If they have an immediate reaction to that's negative when somebody comes out, this is why I like for people if they think somebody's gay and they want to know, if they're a person close enough to know, not just out of curiosity, but because they have a loving relationship to invite them in to tell you or to have a conversation mm-hmm. in a safe way because the the reaction that people get can be so scary. You know, it's such a vulnerable place to be. And parents sometimes have a negative response, but then have a big shift later on and are just become the biggest allies and advocates for their yeah. LGBT kids and my wife in particular she knew she was she knew early on in her adolescence and her mom was you know not on board so much and she worked for the catholic church for 40 years hmm. and at her retirement party we went to her retirement, her mom's retirement party, and her mom had been on board now for decades, right? You know, her mom, her mom came around, and is sweet, sweet love her to pieces. And at her retirement party, we walk up to to go to mass before her retirement party, and she says, oh, father so-and-so, this is my daughter, and this is her fiance." And we sat in the front row, and he proceeded to do an entire Mass on how the gays are ruining the Catholic Church.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And
2: we laughed. We laughed through the, you know, we were like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? That's what you wanted? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a, you know, it's either laugh or cry and we're laughing right now. I know. know.
2: I know. You (laughs) laugh or cry. Exactly.
1: It's it's so,
2: but it really is like, there's so much intersectionality about who we are. You know, we're not just this like one thing. We're all kinds of different things. And so I use the example too of being a Christian, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, a lot of people say that. And then for me, I go, (sighs) What do you mean? Like, are you on this side of the spectrum of Christianity? Or are you on this side? Like, I know the hateful ones who would like to kill me, or the ones who I, you know, are loving and inclusive. So, when you say that, you probably don't recognize that I have a big reaction to you, and I need a lot more information before we can connect. And so, I've started sharing that with people that I know identify. As Christians, you know, I just yeah. say it in the same kind of language as I would, you know,
1: yeah. anything it's, it just, else. Well, and, you, and that's interesting because it's like, I, I know that um, sometimes behind that, I'm a Christian, um, my my instincts have said, watch out, there is a, a one-two punch coming around the corner. Yeah. yeah. Um, right? And so, my instinct to be cautious and to, to watch out and to listen to, like, what, you know, not to assume anything. You know, I, I think about the St. Francis prayer, and it's like, you know, let me be a light in the world. Like, it, it's so much of, like you know, we talked about earlier about like trauma, and then resilience. And the St. Francis Ford does such a good job of like, where there's error, let me bring truth. There is doubt, may I bring faith? Like, and those are all the things that, you know, when I, it's like, Jeff, don't don't tell them who you are, show them. Like live mm-hmm. by these by these principles. Yeah. And um, and, and I'm really, I, I will tell you, I love the name of your podcast. It's Delusional uh, Optimism, right? Yeah. And that's such a great title, first of all. When you were coming up with the name, like can you give us a little background on that? Like how you got to that?
2: I've thought about it now, and I think it's like resilience on steroids. That also would have been a good title (laughs) because resilience is like the ability to overcome adversity. And I think I was telling Lisa, my wife, this the other day, I was saying like, you know, I think I don't know if it's a flaw or a like perk, but no matter how bad things get, I can always see some weird light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And so that's like delusional optimism or resilience on steroids. But, you know, it is it is just who I am and I know that I got that from my dad. My dad was very much an optimist and a positive thinker and, you know, friends, friends kind of guy. You know, everybody was my dad's friend on whatever level. And so... I, I guess that that's where it came from, but it just popped out of the universe one day, delusional optimism.
0: So if just so everybody knows, if someone was to listen to the show, what are some of the things that they can expect to hear?
2: On delusional optimism, right now the podcast is sponsored by the Aces Aware Initiative in California. So there's a lot of information around adverse childhood experiences and resiliency And we also talk a lot about parenting and parenting from an ages and stages perspective (laughs) across the board, because people think parenting is about, you know, that you parent the same all the way across the lifespan. And really, as soon as you get good at parenting a certain age, they change. And so there's a lot in it about parenting, and then there's a lot of, of brain science and sort of the science of trauma and resilience and development and communication. So I know that's a lot of things, but they're all integrated again. Yeah. You know, it's it's really the integration of humanity and how we how we just exist as humans together because we're so social and we need each other, but we also need to find good ways of getting along and doing Humanity better. I happen to be super optimistic at the next generation because I already see this transformation of young people who don't tolerate the level of racism that existed at the turn of the century or even mid century. You know, there are so many things that are coming down the road, which is kind of where the leave a life print messaging comes in which is my business called leave a life print is i'm not going to live out on this planet to see all the seeds that maybe i have planted and mm. most people won't and if we only live our lives to watch for the fruit that we've planted we're never we're, we're only going to live in the short term shallow version of life. We have to plant seeds that grow a long long time way after we're gone and just be okay with being sounds sounds morbid but dead and gone before they come to fruition. Yeah. Because most good things, think about it, wine, whiskey, cigars, all the things, they take a long time to become the best that they're supposed mm. to be. Yeah. So we have to we have to let go of this idea that I have to leave my mark on the universe while I'm alive. No, you don't. You right. can leave your mark on the universe right. forever. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, you know, there's something about then when you get well. At least in my experience is that like once I get well. I get to enter into that flow of creation. Mm. And and there is something about like, you know, in a seed, there is this inherent thing a seed knows to plant, to grow. Like, you know, you can watch a, a, a slow motion camera with a, a still life plant this time of year with spring. I think about farmers out planting the field where it finally gets up to the top and the seed head that eventually pops off on day 14. Yeah. And just like the intrinsic, tr- and, and, and I think about you with how you have blossomed with <laughs> the living your truth. you, you and You've been able to then then that's flourished in all different parts of your life. We're we're sitting here today because of that, because you made that decision. We may not have that, you know, have this conversation if that hadn't happened. And the more that I I get out of that self-centered fear, I'm able to see how it all flows together. You know, um, here in West Hollywood where we're at, there are some trees that I've never seen before growing up in the Midwest. When we first arrived here, I said to Anthony, I was like, this is like Jurassic Park, some of the plants (laughs) they have here. (laughs) And it's just like, but I benefit when I'm walking the dogs with, you know, on these hotter days with the dogs that I can walk on these streets where they're in the shade you know somebody planted these trees many many years ago mm-hmm. and I'm benefiting from them today right and uh yeah and and, and it's, it's with your with your podcast and leave a life print that how that is able to reach on a larger scale people are able to come in and, and, and just sit and, and benefit from the conversations from anywhere in the world today which is what a wonderful thing yeah um, thanks to technology that somebody else invented yeah and, uh, you know
2: Yeah. And we can have like the, we can have trauma and we can own our trauma. We can share our trauma. Then we can talk about it with our kids and hope they have less trauma, but they might still suffer from trauma somewhere. Mm. And then, but then they learn new things and then they have children and they've figured out how to suffer for with less trauma and more resilience. So we're like building this, it's like we're flushing the trauma out of, our lives in some in some way but it takes a generation of time to really move things along you know i can never unsuffer the trauma that i suffered but i can definitely share the lessons that i've learned from that and help somebody else raise their children with less trauma mm-hmm and then those children will be raised in a whole different environment and they will raise children with less trauma and more understanding so it is it is like how we just slowly slowly make these shifts and changes so and i just really want to grow up and be your grandmother so <laughs> i'm
0: like how old
2: was she how old was she when she started
0: she started uh, when she was 57 oh. and she was, I mean, she was yeah. already a not like, she already had businesses. She was, you know, she had her hand in all kinds of things, but okay. for her to get started, you know, it was, it was later in life. And I yeah. know for me, like, you know, hearing like this conversation that we're having today, but then also just sort of thinking about like that experience. It's like when I look back at her life, she came from, you know, she grew up, she was born in the, You know, late twenties. She actually came from a divorced family in the thirties, which was like taboo back then. You know, she went to college in the in the nineteen forties. Like, she went through a lot of trauma, and it's like, it's really when you face it head on. And and you know, you, I have to back up two seconds. You said earlier about like having uh, a a child, having that person, that that mentor, that voice in uh, their life. Mm -hmm. She was one of those voices for me somewhere. In her later adult life, she she was always uh, she was Catholic, raised Catholic, but then she found a different uh, non denominational church, which the teachings and principles that she learned there completely changed her life. And I really do believe that that's why she was able to do what she did later in her own life. But the point of where I'm going is is that for all of us, you know, people listening, it's like it's just so important if we are interacting with children, that we are that positive role model, that positive voice, that loving, caring, accepting you know person in their life to be able to have that. Because I know for myself, when I wasn't able to lean on my parents because they had to deal with what they had to deal with, I had other people to, to go to. And I remember going through Trauma as a kid, having my grandma to lean on—that really it—it it was it was life changing. I, I don't Absolutely. know if I would be here today without her her guidance. Then, but also you know, also knowing like, and I know that I've had to, I, I I've been the one to put these you know these time markers right, these age markers. Like I have to do a certain thing by a certain age. I'm the one who put them there. I'm the one who have to has to break them down because it's really just it's it's not about time. It's just about when things are ready to happen. And as long as you're open and willing to accept them in your life, you'll be able to make those things happen and really fulfill the destiny that you're supposed to have.
2: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Get into Bitcoin. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no. Get, don't get into Bitcoin. I mean, you could, but it's easy. Get into altcoins because they're like they're like the baby version and that's that's where it's at.
0: That's so, where
2: it's at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think your I think your um your grandma story is amazing. And yeah, when she was able to be freed from yep. the constraints and the beliefs that she had that held her down, she was able to fly. And then yeah. same same with you. There is research that if you write those things down, mm-hmm. like put them on paper then they're much more, they're like 80% more likely to happen than if you just say them or think them. Oh, so yeah. you have to write it over and like when you're in trouble at school, you know, write it a hundred times on the wall.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, I would, I would, it's funny. I was looking at uh, some stuff for talk out loud. We, we this is kind of like, just like an idea and a thought, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and I, and I had like, I made a list on my phone, just in my phone notes of like people that like one day I'd like to talk to these people. And I was like, and I haven't, and I've actually kept the people on there I've talked to. I was like, I wanted to talk to this person and we've gotten to sit down. You know, we, it, it, it's like it activates that intention or plants the seed or whatever it is. Um,
0: yeah.
1: You know, we're limited to, you know, how much we can learn from you today. But the wonderful thing is, is that. Your your podcast is available um, on all major all major platforms, and we're going to have links on our website to that as well. Thank you. In the meantime, I'm just going to picture you out surfing that wave because because <laughs> okay. uh, you know I've, it's been really cool to see how you have gotten like back up and been resilient in the different waves you've caught in life, and then yeah. how you help other people get on waves today as well too. Yeah. So thank you so much for the work you do.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun, and I hope you guys will come on my podcast.
1: Yeah, anytime, anytime, yeah. anytime. would love it. <laughs> okay, I'll bring a book. I'll bring a a boogie board, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's an old saying, communication is key. And after having this conversation with Dr. B, it seems that it is the key to slowing down trauma and building resilience. If you want to learn more about Dr. B, listen to her podcast or check out the services she offers, visit our website at www. Dot talkoutloudlive.com and visit our profile page. We hope that you've enjoyed the season of Talk Out Loud. For us, it's been such a pleasure to have the guests we've had on and to share their stories with you. Now, we are gonna take a short break because we're getting ready for a special series we've been working on. This series is gonna be ready just in time for Pride Month. We'll be sure to share more details as we get closer to releasing new episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. On our website, you can also catch up on past episodes, learn more about our past guests, and browse their profiles. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store, and browse our online bookstore, curated with our guest's recommended books. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be true, be you, and to Talk Out Loud.